Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart distinguished professor of Arsenal and Football Studies. Joining us today, we also have our perpetually disappointed visiting professor of football banter, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. Lovely to be here. I'm glad. Uh, and uh, this week featured Premier League match number five at Goodison Park against Everton. So... Before we get to that, uh, let's get right into it with our Conmebol update for round two, match week number two of the World Cup qualifications. So um, Argentina had an interesting outing. So Messi, it turns out, was not able to play after all, and he did end up missing his Miami match this week as well. I hope he's doing okay. I haven't delved too much further into that yet. Um, but... Uh, Argentina did well without him. They beat Bolivia 3-0, which I guess is a reversal from the last time they played each other and lost 6-1. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was a good round for them. They, uh, they scored, scored two goals in the first half with a third right near the final whistle. Bolivia got a red card in the, in the 39th minute, which certainly didn't help things for them. Um, goals were scored for Argentina by Enzo Fernandez, Nicolas Tagliafico, and Nico Gonzalez. Their next match will be during the next international break on October 12th versus Paraguay. So that's what I have to report there. Yes. I, official official team of the show, Bolivia. Um, <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised at that result. Uh, Our official unofficial team. <laughs> Argentina, Argentina is pretty good. That's the lesson for them, I think, out of the window. Uh, yeah. Yes. Meanwhile, Los Cafeteros, Colombia. Uh a very professional draw, a scoreless draw at Chile, uh, which if if there's a basic process to qualifying, it's win at home and draw on the road. And Chile is one of those teams who's probably going to be right about with Colombia as a, they're not Brazil, Argentina, or even a Uruguay at the top of South America, but uh, certainly a team that is going to be in the mix together. So that's a good result to get a point away to Chile. Uh, no goals scored, so... Having not watched the game, I really can't say anything else about what happened. <laughs> um, interesting draw, interesting uh, setup in the game. Next window, they will play at home. Colombia, that is, will play home against Uruguay, which should be a, a tough one, and then away to Ecuador. But they close out the first window third in the table, which uh, I believe it's the – I should have looked this up before I started talking. I believe it's the top <laughs> six – in South America who will qualify for the World Cup. So Right. Now, what's interesting, I, I'd been reading about this last week when I was looking into how Argentina was doing. So, yes, the, the top six in each confederation are guaranteed a spot. But then I believe the seventh, also because there are 48 teams this time around, the seventh will get to play and compete against the other seventh place teams for additional spots. Uh, not exactly. So, okay. so e each, each continent member gets, is going to get a different number of teams based on okay. typically historic strength versus just straight numbers. UEFA has 16. They're big. Right. Um, okay. And they get no playoff spots. CONCACAF is going to get six. Africa's got nine. Asia, eight. South America, six. I mean, South America couldn't get much bigger because you'd quite literally just be taking all of them at a certain <laughs> point. Um, the, really the big shift is that Oceania, uh, which is New Zealand and all the small islands in the South Pacific, is now going to get a full spot, which is the first time that's ever happened. Traditionally, they have. Oh, interesting. Their top team always went straight to the playoff, um, but they're going to get in. They're in this time. Um, huh. It'll probably be New Zealand, but 
but maybe not. Maybe Fiji, maybe Tonga. We'll see. That's that's <laughs> somewhere down the line. Cool. So this week, I am not going to turn everything pink for the messy room because Messi didn't do anything this week. So I did watch the recap of Inter Miami, their first loss, actually, since Messi joined the team. It was a crushing defeat uh, against Atlanta. They were in Atlanta. Um, it, I forget what the final score was. It was like 5-1 or something like that. 4-1, 5-1. It was, it was a pretty lopsided defeat. Um, and... Uh, some some questionable calls, some interesting things. So the questions that came to me watching recaps, which usually I don't have questions resulting from recaps. <laughs> it's, this is this is a first for me too. But basically, so the first thing is in hearing the replay commentary, the the recap commentary, which I think is just whatever commentary was going on during the section that they were replaying. Um, I don't think it's new commentary or anything for the recap, but um, they were talking about, so there was a possible offsides leading to Atlanta's first goal. And I think it was our first one. It was one of the, one of the earlier few. So there was a possible offsides and he was saying that he wondered if it was possibly offsides enough to be considered uh, clear and obvious that the on-field ref made a mistake. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe this is a difference with MLS versus Premier League, but if this were in the Premier League, my understanding is that offsides gets reviewed by VAR for every goal, regardless of whether it's a clear or obvious error. They draw the lines and make sure that it was 100% not offsides or else the goal gets taken back, right? Uh, they don't, they don't necessarily draw the lines, I think. I think there has to be a potential for an offside. And we'll talk about this for, for Arsenal. Obviously, there was, there were turns that there was an offside in the buildup. And so that's why, mm-hmm. the, you know, the first goal was taken away. But I think there does have to be some suspicion that there is. It doesn't, it doesn't right. rise necessarily. The clear and obvious standard is, is the standard for overturning, not for reviewing in the first place. They can right. review just about anything they right. feel like, frankly. Um, but so even to override a decision on the field about offsides leading to a goal, that would still need to be a clear and obvious error on the part of a linesman? Right. Now, okay. I have to say, I'm trying to, I haven't actually watched a lot of the MLS games recently, mostly because New York City's terrible um, <laughs> and just and just hasn't been worth watching. But I, I, I don't, I suspect they do the line drawing the way they do in the Premier League, but I have to say I haven't. I don't remember actually the last time I saw an an, off, an offside conversation or controversy. So I, I don't don't quote me on that. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, to to be yeah, fair, it's it's so confusing nowadays. You know, I told you guys I'm not a big. I don't watch a lot of MLS, but even with the Premier League, I never know. I never know what the hell's going on. <laughs> I feel like every week it's different. What's clear and what's obvious? Why they overrule stuff? Why do they look back at it? It's always just, it's always just, uh, it's too hard to follow these days. Well, yeah, I mean, you're also dealing with the fact that every league has their own rules, and you know, it's technology, yeah. and so, yeah. Um, it would be surprising to me if clear and obvious were required, though, for VAR to call off sides when the on-field ref didn't. Only because that would eliminate the fingernail offsides situation, right? Because that isn't a clear and obvious mistake. If his entire body except his fingernail was onside, then that wouldn't be a clear and obvious error that you would expect the linesman to make with the naked eye, right? 
Well, what, once they, at least in the Premier League, and again, because that's what's fresh in my mind, right? Uh, once they go to drawing the lines, the lines are the lines. It, it, it doesn't matter. It, the, the clear and obvious standard isn't there. The clear and obvious standard generally applies to penalties in the box. Um, okay. Or theoretic, theoretically red cards. So once you've made the decision, we're checking for offside, they draw the lines and the lines of the lines. And that's right. it. If, if you're offside, according, we saw that against United, and then we saw it against Everton. Once they draw the lines, that's it. Um, yep. And it doesn't matter if it does, even if it's just that fraction, it's too, it, we drew the lines. Okay. We can't, we can't. So, otherwise. so I think where I'm landing with this is we don't know the rule in MLS and it's maybe different than the Premier League. And I think from what I'd seen in that recap, if that happened in the Premier League, I think they would have drawn lines and told us conclusively whether or not it was offsides. Because there was a possibility. It was not clear and obvious that it wasn't offside. Like, there was a possibility in that play. So, okay, that's, that's yeah. something and, left and, to and, you know, and, and that clear and obvious language is... It, it, it's a language that gets used just about every every sports league. The NFL uses the same standard for if you watch professional American football. But to me, this is well. This is a larger conversation we can have another time about the philosophical angle uh, angle of um, what the what is replay for? Is it for getting every call exactly right, or is it for overturning clear mistakes? I mean, I still remember. Mm-hmm. I, I'm old enough. I'm sure we're all old enough to remember. Obviously, Dovey, you weren't watching football. I mean, <laughs> one of the plays that drove the impetus of replay it was in the NFL was. A player scored a touchdown. The ball was never close to the line, but the referee saw the helmet cross and thought that was the ball and called it. A, I mean, they, oh. the replays clearly showed it. The ball wasn't close and it was just his helmet. But, you know, it's when we say clear and obvious, that's what we're thinking of. Mm-hmm. But once you bring the cameras in, now you start to judge these fine margins. And now right. no one in, in professional football knows what a catch means. But that's that's for a totally different podcast. We don't have time for that. <laughs> Well, yeah, at this point, at this point, it's almost uh, you just want AI to take over and just have a kind of uh, supercomputer <laughs> to determine everything. So we just uh, stop talking about how these corrupt officials who are just making up terms to keep the funding going just so they can just get out of the job and we can move on with our lives and watch football. Because honestly, like it's even even this thing in the average game, which we'll talk about, um, it's just uh, it's sort of drives drives me crazy i think it's like it drives everyone crazy yeah yeah that we all have to talk about what's clear and obvious and what determines an offside it's it's like mm. uh all of a sudden every, everything's just turned upside down well yeah i, I think i think everybody would love like god would be the perfect referee right like omniscience and unbiased completely Amen. and i think that's maybe what we, what we project onto ai is like it, it could be that right but yeah, well, I guess it's, certainly we'd have how the, to see. it's certainly how some of the referees think of themselves. So, one hundred percent. So, so the other question that came out of this seven minutes that I watched of the Miami match was: I think this was actually the first goal that they scored, where it bounced off the inside edge of the left goal post, and it bounced in a way that it went like parallel to the goal line. As it very slowly, like subtly kind of maybe crossed before the keeper cleared it. And it was a question of, did it fully cross the line or not? And I was just thinking in the Premier League, this wouldn't be a question. Hawkeye would tell us it either crossed the line or it didn't. So it seems to me MLS doesn't use Hawkeye, I guess. I don't think so. I feel like that is a, a Premier League decision. 
I feel like that's Premier League only. I'm not even sure Europe does. Um, hmm. I, I, I guess we'll find out. We have the Champions League <laughs> this week. Free preview. But I don't know, actually, if, if even Europe does. Um, it's a little yeah. shocking that it's not all uniform, though. Because mm. cause I think they introduced it a couple of World Cups ago. So uh, you would think the, it would the, be... Uh, yeah. It has been very long. I think they say it's always a question of like the number of cameras you need for it. I, I guess I, I admit this is totally beyond me. So, and, yeah. and England's always weird about this. They have this weird conservatism. Like, well, if we can't do it at every level of the game, then we can't do it at all. It's like, no, the Premier League is is worth doing this, right? <laughs> okay, I'm just so, yeah. an American. What do I know? We'll we'll try we'll do our best to follow up and bring definitive answers on both of those questions for for next. Sorry, week. just, just yeah, one more point on that. Actually, there was I mean there was a thing, and I know this isn't the goal line per se, but I don't know if you watched the United Brighton game, but United had a had a goal disallowed, um, which I love to see. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked to hear where, you say those words. <laughs> <laughs> where Rashford. Uh, dribbled the ball out before passing it to Ramses, um, and the ball went out, and they showed the camera angles, which I presume is what the referees are looking at. And it wasn't one of those Hawkeye things; it was just it was like a typical offside camera angle. They, you know, you could I mean, you could see it was it was out of bounds, but um, I thought that was interesting actually that mm. it wasn't a similar kind of um, thing that they use. But I think also that the balls now have chips in them, so the referee gets a little vibration on his watch or on iron it works um hmm. i don't know it's all confusing i hate it all um but <laughs> it, is what, it is what it is interesting i never heard that i knew about the chips and the balls like for for world cup and for judging offsides automatically they had the semi-auto var for for the world cup and they used the chips and the balls to detect when the ball was struck to determine whether um, there was anyone in an offside position at that time but yeah cool so I think the time is here to talk about the Everton match. So this was our fifth Premier League match of a season on September 17th. The final score was Everton zero, Arsenal one. Um, I, I think, I feel like this is a score that doesn't really adequately capture the feeling of this match overall, right guys? <laughs> well, let, let's capture the feeling of the match in a sentence. Everton stinks. <laughs> horrible. They, horrible. They, they were, I mean, I'm not surprised, but. It reminds me, we had that game, I think it was Leicester last year, where they showed the stats at the end. We only won 1-0, but I think, like, if you're, if you're a believer in, in expected goals and XG, ever, uh, Leicester's XG was something like 0.2. Like, they offered, they offered nothing. There was at no point did I ever was like, oh, Everton might score. No. <laughs> they were They were dire. I mean, only because the other three promoted teams and Wolves all look bad might be the only thing that saves Everton from going down. But they look, they're, they're not good. Yeah. I thought what really encapsulated it, I mean, there were two parts of the game that I thoroughly enjo- enjoyed. One was obviously Trussard scoring lovely goal, us getting the three points. The second thing that I just, I love was that Everton were so bad. I don't know if you guys noticed this a couple times in the first half. Everton actually kept possession, believe it or not, and the crowd were like losing, losing their minds. <laughs> like they couldn't believe it, and they were cheering. And just for like because one center back passed to the uh, the left back or whatever, and they were like, "Oh my god, we actually have the ball!" It's incredible. <laughs> they, completed a, they completed a pass, yeah. And I was watching that. Oh my god. Yeah, 
Yeah, they said, was, uh, like, terrible. The passing accuracy is somewhere toward the end of the match. They said Arsenal was around 90% and Everton was like around 60% or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are dire, um, which is a shame. I mean, they're actually I mean, you know, I don't have Everton's not a club I have very strong feelings about. I know there are a few Arsenal fans who have thoughts about about Everton. I don't know. Maybe Mike's one of them. But I, I there's a part of me that's kind of a shame that Everton, who used to be and I'm sure Mike remembers this, too. There was the big four, and then Everton was like, they were, they were almost there. They were almost going to break in, but they never could quite get there. And, and now just to see them the way they are is, is just kind of disappointing. They are like a perennial Premier League team. So as much as I love watching these teams that have these, you know, they'll have the foreign billionaire come in, they'll just pump money mm. into, into them. You know, it bring, brings me joy at least watching those plants fall apart. But at the same time, it is it is it would be disappointing to see them go down. It, you know, they're not yeah. like uh, Nottingham Forest or Luton or Sheffield. It'd be very weird not going to Goodison Park. So I yeah. I, I, I understand. Yeah. Although, although given our record against there, I won't be upset that we don't go. But we don't have to go back there for a year. That's not the worst thing. <laughs> well, it was at Goodison Park where we played against them in Sean Dyche's first match with them last year, right? Yep. Or was that at home? That was. Oh no, yeah, that was the. Yeah, no, that was, that was their their, uh, yeah. their new manager or dead cat bounce they got right from him coming in. <laughs> I feel like I remember talking about this with some of the guys during the game. Speaking of our bad record at Goodison, it feels a little bit like we'd always play them during that stretch in the season where like nothing was going right. Like we when it was the <laughs> loss last year, it was like that one stretch where we 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 lost like three in a row, and like it it, it wasn't so much that we played poorly there that we did. But it always came in that moment where everything was going wrong, as opposed to even games we'd play poorly, we'd snag a goal and get a draw or even steal a win. It always seemed to come in that moment. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting it backwards that it was losing <laughs> at Everton that made it a bad run. But I just uh, when do when did we play them last season again? Because I feel, and maybe this is just my mind playing tricks on me, but I feel like we've gone to Goodison Park in the middle of winter every season, and this was the first time in a long time where. It was actually a nice day out. Yeah, maybe. I, it was, with- I'm pretty sure it was in March, because I remember it was while I was on vacation in Disney World. I remember talking about it in the hotel room, talking about that match, so it would have uh, been in March. Well, no, so I, I just, so we, we were in Goodison in early February, but we played them at home on March 1st. I, and one of those oh, okay. was the one, now that, I'm, yeah. now that I'm looking at it, one of those games was the one that was rescheduled because of, because of the Queen. Uh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and yeah, at Everton, I'm looking at it now. Right before that, we lost to City in the FA Cup, drew Brentford afterwards, and then lost to City in the league. So it was it was right in that stretch where mm. we were just kind of struggling. And then we won four in a row right after that, including Everton again. So mm. Yeah, so, uh, so the first remarkable thing came before the kickoff when I saw, oh, David Raya's in goal. This this is happening fast. Okay. <laughs> Seeing Ramsdale sitting on the bench. Uh, what, what did you guys think about Raya during this match? Well, he didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, well, yeah, you know, he, he didn't have a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it was interesting. There were two, there were really two switches made from the last game, the Raya one. And then also Kai Havertz was dropped for, right. for Fabio Vieira. And I, I was listening to the Arse cast earlier, earlier today. And they sort of made the comment that sort of inadvertently, either one of those switches would have been a pretty big story on their own, but doing them together kind of takes a little bit of the sting out of, mm. 
out of both of them. I mean, my first instinct now, knowing that we have Champions League coming up, my first instinct was you put in Raya now and you play Ramsdale in the Champions League. Like, it, it, like in Kedia started, we'll probably see, I'm hoping we see Gabriel Jesus in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 sh- I, I would bet, I almost would bet real money on it that we see Kai Havertz in the Champions League. So Fabio Vieira gets the start here. You wonder how some of that rotation, how the idea of rotation is playing in. Uh, but you know, Raya wasn't going to be here just to sit on the bench. He was, he came here to play and, and here it is. He played. Yeah. Uh, maybe exactly. we'll talk about this a little bit more, uh, post show, but, uh, I actually made my first substitutions this weekend. It was our first uh, U8 match. So it was actually like they paused the game every so often. We actually made substitutions. So they they were not strategic in any way. I tried to be as fair as I can. <laughs> <laughs> made sure every kid played about the same amount of time. It's, it's the youth soccer line change. Everybody just comes off. Everyone else comes off. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, anyways, <laughs> not to derail us too badly. I, but, I did uh, see something on Twitter, though. And I will say the problem with Twitter is you never really know. <laughs> if this is true or not, but I did see something that Rye actually caught the most amount of crosses last season, or hmm. something along those lines. So I did it, notice him catching it in this match actually more than I've noticed Ramsdale doing so. Yeah, and I, I there was one instance I remember where whatever they crossed the ball, it was, it was a nothing cross, but he he grabbed it, and there was something about the way he grabbed it. I was like, oh, nice, I like that. Strong mm. grab and then, and then he quickly yeah. looked up and look, not to say Ramsdale doesn't do it, but he looked up and he just pinged the ball to Saka right yeah. after. I was like, Oh, sexy. I like that. This <laughs> right. Is I mean, yeah. Not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. No, he's definitely very good. Um, I think you're right. I think I saw the same thing about the crosses and I, I, I suppose. I suppose if Everton was going to do more, like that's probably what they were going to do under Sean Dyche, which is lump a bunch of balls in the box and let some big guy go up and try and get it. <laughs> um, so in that sense, it make it makes sense to have a keeper who might be a little more assertive on dealing with crosses. Although, I mean, of course, there's the difference where Raya was at Brentford. He saw a lot more crosses and a lot more dangerous chances than Ramsdale <laughs> saw with Arsenal last year. The, the thing that I noticed that, I don't remember ever seeing a keeper do before uh, that Raya did. It was in the 71st minute. I made a note. Um, the ball was wide of the 18 yard box. Raya came like all the way to the touch line and headed it out of touch <laughs> to clear the ball, which was an interesting choice. I think he may have found himself exposed or something and just did what he could to make sure that it didn't come back to bite him or something. But that, I think he was trying to do like a flick over the guy pressing him or something like that. I, if I'm, 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 maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but I feel like he, he sort of tried bringing it down with his foot. It had a little bounce and he was just like, all right, screw this. I'm not, Okay, yeah, it could be. I'm not going to be eaten alive <laughs> online this weekend. Like, I'm not That's doing right. that. <laughs> Sometimes just kick it away and we'll deal with it later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Old school British goalkeeping. Eh. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, so the first really major event from the match was in the 19th minute. Martinelli scored with an assist from Fabio Vieira, but it was... 
call it was taken back due to an interesting offside call call during the buildup. Um, what was notable to me about it was so it was Enkedia. It was I think one or two passes back from the the assist that made the goal. Um, and what was interesting is it was it was Enkedia's heel. I think like his the back of his foot that was actually offside. It was a retreating offside, which you don't typically see. It makes it unusual. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll get those now and again. Um, I mean, it was the right call, which is a real shame in part because that pass from Vieira to Martinelli was was outstanding. Mm-hmm. I, Gorgeous. It, I, he's I, he's really impressed, especially the last couple of weeks. The way he, I mean. I, that, you know, I, again, in retrospect, that was one of the concerns. Everton, we've had concerns about Piera's, essentially his strength. Is he strong enough to kind of handle the physical English game? And, and he's been, he's been excellent. And to, to get the start at Everton, who's going to rough it up and then to make that pass. Um, uh, yeah, that was, boy, that's, and, and, and a class finish from Martinelli too. Right. Um, just Which- unfortunate. Did you him know, in, yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate that that's, <laughs> you know, I, I know that's the next thing, of course. That's unfortunate where he got hurt. But, I mean, you know, unfortunately, it's it's annoying and frustrating, but it's the right call. And Kenya hasn't made it all the way back when the ball comes into him. Yeah. It, yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed because I wanted the goal, but, I mean, that's the rule. I, it's I, it's I have, karma for the Garnacho thing that happened yeah. against they, United. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they drew the lines, you know, which which we can't always say they've done for Arsenal, but they drew the lines. They did what they were supposed to. I can't complain. Yeah, the, it may have just been me not remembering it from in the past, but I thought it was new. Um, the way that they drew the lines was interesting. They actually shaded the field so that the, beyond the last defender was kind of dark and and shaded down and then the in play area was brighter and so you could see that when they drew the line on Enkedia's heel or whatever it was that it was in the dark area like making it extra obvious that it was where it shouldn't be i thought that was a good visualization i don't remember seeing before i feel like they've ha- i feel like i've seen that at the grass level at least i don't know about maybe above that but i feel like that wasn't unusual um yeah I remember again, way always, back. Oh, sorry, no go ahead. No, go ahead. I remember way back in the day before VR was a thing. They used to do that on TV sometimes. Mm-hmm. That they would just have their own uh, little animation, whatever you want right. to call it, um, to show it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I agree. I think it's a lot better than that. This like dotted line thing they do. That's very ambiguous. I think is a word. <laughs> feels ambi- certainly feels that way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's frustrating because you know you, it's exactly what you want. It builds a you know it's essentially off a counter. Everton's caught out of position. It's a beautiful pass from Vieira. It's an excellent finish from Martinelli. And not only do you not get the goal, but Martinelli pulls a hamstring essentially and uh, kind of limps around for a couple of minutes and then. Mm-hmm. So right, uh, we're left with a very very disappointing twenty fourth minute substitution due to injury. So Trossard mm-hmm. comes on for Martinelli, which you know clearly that ended up working out in the long run. Um, eventually, it took us a long time to replace that goal that was taken back, but we did it. <laughs> yeah, and I thought Trossard. I mean, you know, that's the 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 early substitution always makes things a little weird. I thought Trossard took a little while to grow into the game. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I. 
overall, I thought everyone was pretty good, mostly, again, because Everton didn't do a whole lot. But but I thought Trossard was probably the guy who took a while to really get there. But once he was in, once he really got bedded in, you know, it, it, he was right there buzzing around with everybody else. I mean, they it really is incredible just how interchangeable they are. I mean, Zinchenko is sort of central to all of that and the way he just... I remember one time just looking up and he was doing a back and forth with Ben White on the right side. And I was like, <laughs> on the left, I was like, wait a minute, where's Saka? What's going on? Why is Zinchenko <laughs> over there? Uh, but yeah, it's, they, they really do just shuffle around so much. And, and Trussard can really do that. And, you know, not that Martinelli can't, but it feels like he's definitely more of a left wing guy. Um, as opposed to Trussard who really can play anywhere on the front line. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I know usually Tresar comes on if he hasn't started, he comes on as a late substitution very often and and he hits his stride immediately. Like his effect can usually be felt right away on the match. He must have just been unprepared, I guess, like just, you know, not <laughs> not in the mindset to hit the pitch yet or something. Yeah, 24 minutes, you're not supposed to come on. No. There was this um thing I noticed this weekend, not just with Arsenal, but with all the teams, all the games I watched. It felt like after this particular international break, a lot of players took a, a long time or didn't even hit their stride. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just that early international break in the beginning of the season where you're not maybe getting enough game time. Yeah, You don't really have that confidence, and then you got to go fly to whatever corner of the world. Right. And it's, it is tough yeah. coming on, you know, in that kind of instance. Yeah. Um, and that is, like, the one thing, because I think when Trussard started... Was it, I think it was like Fulham, maybe he started, mm. and he was just terrible. Um, it was just oh, one of those yeah. things where he wasn't really playing, and he just, you know, didn't really find his rhythm. So it's good, I've, you know, him scoring that goal. Oh, yeah. Especially in a place where I think, I feel like, like you said, Martinelli's much more of a left winger. It's rare you see him drift to the other side of the box, mm. even when we have a lot of possession. Um, right. I think it's like really actually perfect timing for that to happen for Trissard, considering Martinelli's probably going to be out for a few weeks now. Yeah. And it's it's funny you talk about the frequency, because we, we talk so much, right, about the congestion of games, obviously with the internationals, but even just we're going to do two games a week with the Champions League and the Cups and the League and all of that. That's only starting now. We've we've only been since, since obviously since August, a little month and a half now, it's just one game a week. So yeah, now that we have that, I, I wonder if you do see guys get a little more regular rhythm even knowing you may only play one game a week you know but if you're Jorginho and you play a whole game in the Champions League okay we're well, going to play PSV maybe you don't play Saturday or Sunday but then you'll be back the next week so you you can get that rhythm I wonder if that'll work yeah yeah that's something to think about uh, before we continue and wrap up our discussion of the match I would like to take a break to thank our sponsor, Zencaster. So uh, as Mike can hopefully attest, as Zencaster makes things as easy as possible for uh, for recording our show, we use it for every episode. All I do is I open up my link in Chrome. I don't even need to open up a link because it's one of the things, one of the only things I use Chrome for. So I just open up Chrome and it's already open from the last time that I used Chrome. Um, I open it up. Keith does the same. Mike did the same this week. I click record and that's it. 
it uploads our audio and video when we're all done and it takes care of the editing for me after that. And that's it. 99% of our video post-production is still taking place in Zencaster. Um, it has some clear benefits for us. So for one thing, it's very easy. Um, and for you guys, keep in mind, it's super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. You just log in using your browser and start a recording uh, in high quality right away. You can record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests and feel a sense of Zen knowing that Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable, which is no stranger to us. Um, it is an all-in-one solution. So if you ever thought about podcasting before and thought you might need a lot of different tools and services, well, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. Uh, they also have a new iPhone app. So if you don't have a computer handy, recording from the field, whatever the case may be, um, you can use that instead. So you can be even more mobile than ever before. So if it sounds good to you, you want to start your passion project, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing, use our code Gooner, G-O-O-N-E-R, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. Uh, you can also use the special link that we have in the show notes or in the YouTube description. And I want you to have the same easy experiences that we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. So it's time for you to share your story. Thanks to Zencaster. Okay, so the second half, um, I'm kind of light on notes for this match. I feel like it was a lot of build up and shoot and it goes wide, build up and shoot or, you know, just goes over the crossbar, whatever it was. You know, we, we had attempts, you know, we had one, one really nice one from uh, Vieira's like a one timer that kind of bounced to him and, and it just went a little bit wide of the, of the post. But, uh, was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on? I, I I did want to bring up uh, Vieira again, yeah, because uh, I was really happy to see him start. I feel like this season has been really good to see that it's it's clear that he's been with the team for a year. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of confidence, and you need a little bit of that fu mentality of that. <laughs> give me the ball, let me do something here. Which like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after one season and another, and another preseason he all all of a sudden has and he took like four or five shots that all went over the bar but it was actually good to see i i quite liked it because it showed he had confidence he did with his right foot his left foot different areas of the pitch mm. and you know it's better than what we have with Havertz at the moment who's scared to make a mistake and who's making an easy sideways pass which is not the worst thing in the world but you got to have, you know, some cojones sometimes in that position <laughs> and try to try to make something happen. So I, I, I will say I was actually not that he had the best game ever, but I was impressed with Vieira that he was trying to make stuff happen throughout the game as long as he stayed on. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I agree. No, definitely. Uh, Vieira Vera's looking like he belongs. He looks comfortable. It's good. Yeah, and, and, and so much of that second half really is just, I mean, Vieira looking comfortable. Again, as we talked about at the beginning, Everton is just so, they're just so lacking. It, it, I don't want to say it felt like the goal was coming because, you know, you, it, it, it didn't quite feel like that kind of a game. But, it, it, yeah, it did sort of feel as though it, it was it really, if we kept pushing, we'd get it. And mm-hmm. it was nice to get it eventually when we did. <laughs> So one one thing I definitely wanted to talk to you about. So right at the beginning of a second half, 
Gabrielle received a yellow card. And this is one that does not seem like it should have been called to me. Like he was basically standing there. He kind of held his hands up in front of his chest as I forget which player, but someone from Everton was like running at him. And he's kind of holding his hands up like, uh, uh, don't knock me over. Don't hurt me. And he got run into and the yellow card was called against him. That just seemed bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is a it is a silly thing. Yeah, he's clearly the, I don't want to say the Everton player initiates contact, but Ga- Gabriel is owed the right to be in that space. Mm. Like, you know, he he doesn't have to yield just because the defender is coming towards him. He essentially it looks like if you were in, if we were playing basketball, I'd say he took a charge. Although in this case, Gabriel didn't take the charge so much as he kind of delivered the wall. I think I think <laughs> the Everton player going down is what is what generated the call. But that sort of thing, I don't know. We haven't, we, I don't know. We, we could have easily talked about this in the first half. We haven't talked about the officiating too much, uh, but, uh, it was terrible. It, it, <laughs> it is amazing how clubs managed by certain people, Sean Dyche, Tony Pulis, you know, seem to be able to play a game where they can just foul, just, just kind of just foul constantly. <laughs> and, and and, and and you know Arsenal either gets nothing out of it or winds up getting getting carded the moment they retaliate. I mean, the one we missed, of course, is Zach in the first half. I mean, Saka gets some spikes right into the shin. I mean, that's a oh bit. right, that's a late. That's there was no foul called. Right, that's the part that just I. It, you want to tell me it was a bad foul and you don't want to give a yellow? I don't agree with that, but that's a that's a decision. You want to tell me that's a red card? Go studs into studs into the guy's ankle. That's uh, yeah. But the linesman get, is there as well. Yeah, I don't right. know how the linesman doesn't see it. And also to bring it back to the Gabriel thing, it's a similar. It's very similar to the to the penalty that was given for Everton, which I think was a right call. He was oh, looking yeah. for the penalty. He sort of ran into him. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a good call. That's fine. Yeah, but then. If something similar like that is going to happen outside the box, okay, it's a foul. It's fine. I'm 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 totally cool. No problem giving that as a foul. I get it. But that's deemed a bookable offense. But if that's the case, then Everton should have the penalty. Yeah. And and it's it's I don't understand what the differences between those two things. <laughs> and again, totally fine. Give a foul. I get it. Guys running. You know, you can't really. You know, can't really pick set picks right mm-hmm. in, in football but like yeah it was it was really inconsistent and that soccer thing was sort of outrageous considering yeah. there's a line yeah. there considering where the referee is standing considering you could literally hear it through the tv pretty much <laughs> yeah it was it, it, it and it's frustrating of course because it does feel like it always happens to soccer of all players and somehow along the line apparently he's developed a reputation for diving which i don't quite understand I mean, everybody mm. dives. Obviously, like let's let's not pretend that everyone's perfect here. Everybody's di- everyone's you know gone down a little easy now and again, but he takes a lot of abuse. I mean, I feel like I've I've long suggested that we really should always refer to him, give his new, make his new first name, you know, England International. So England International Bukayo Saka doesn't get calls. England International Bukayo Saka is getting hurt. I like is that what it's going to take to get? <laughs> to get, I don't want, I don't want protection. Like he's, you know, like he's, you know, a player who's above the rules. But I mean, come on, man. Hmm. 
yeah, it's it's a little bit um, it's scary because I think as well in the international break he didn't play that or he came on late. I, I forget mm. which one, but because Southgate said he had a little bit of an Achilles issue, mm. which is something the guy plays so much football just constantly. Mm. He's bound to be carrying some sort of pain, yeah. Which is like not the referee's job to care about that, but at the same time, you know you see it the whole game. You see it every game. Guys yeah. like Saka, these guys like whatever, five foot nine, hundred forty pounds. He's running full speed at the Giants, who are trying to break his ankles metaphorically or literally. Yeah, not not, too, not not metaphorically enough, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's bizarre. And that referee, all right, some decisions were okay, some were terrible, but his face, I just hated his face that game. He kept <laughs> having this look like, uh, what are you gonna do? You know, yeah. it's whatever. Nothing happened. I didn't see anything. It's like, what the hell is what? What is wrong with some of these refs? It's 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 insane. And and it wasn't really a huge issue because we won. Mm. That's all that matters. But yeah, the the quote unquote protection is not there at all for Arsenal players. It seems like. And 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 I don't want I don't want to dwell on the officiating too much, but we do seem to see it against Everton. We saw it when when Dice was at Burnley. We saw it for years against Stoke. I mean, it does seem to be there are certain games where the re- it's almost like the referees just say, "Well, they're going to play physical, so I can't, I can't card everything." Yes, you can <laughs> send a message, like send a message. That sort of thing is not okay. But it feels like that. It, it, not so much. I don't want to play the poor old Arsenal. It only happens to us. But it does feel like there are certain clubs that seem to be able to get away with that when they play that way, and and we're capable of working through that. I mean, I remember the game at Newcastle last year. They we 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 took their punch and and gave it right back and won at at St James's, but you don't want to have to keep to a certain extent that kind of mental toughness is important. I thought we actually handled it overall pretty well. Saka did throw a couple shoulders that, absent context, were like well, I don't know if that was necessary, but given context, were to- were thoroughly necessary. So <laughs> I don't I don't feel bad about them, but it's just it's unfortunate you have to find yourself dragged into that kind of contest. Well, so let me let me pose a question to you guys, see, see what your thoughts are. So he definitely erred on the side of not calling things. There are a couple notable exceptions where, yeah, there's like a couple things they called that he probably shouldn't have. But generally, it was a, a game where I felt like he was just kind of letting them play, where it just wasn't free kicks over and over again. And when it got to be the end of the second half and they announced only four minutes stoppage time, the, <laughs> the crowd went nuts. Like what? Only four minutes. But that did feel right to me in the context of this game, which really didn't stop a lot. So, so let me ask you, if you could pick between a referee who is oversensitive and calls too many things, and let's just say for the sake of argument for this discussion, fairly calls too many things on both teams fairly or doesn't call enough things evenly against both sides, which would you prefer in a match? I'd rather let them go. Like, I'd rather they Mm -hmm. see the physicality and they say, okay, you know what? These are big guys, top athletes, let it go. I just do feel it's a double-edged sword because the referee that does that ends up giving Everton that penalty. Yeah, let's say yeah. Yeah, it's it's it it uh, it's almost like uh, it's, it's a, God. What's it called? It's like that book, uh, Catch Twenty Two. Oh, yeah. Right? Is that the right number? Catch Twenty Two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
yeah. So I, I mean, that's that's my take at least. I, I, yeah, to me, it's really it's the great philosophical question of of refereeing. Do you want them to kind of let it go, let stuff go or call a tight game? I, I, honestly, I go back to what I usually hear every time you hear them ask players, but they just wanted some general sense of consistency. And obviously within the game, but also to a certain extent, game to game. I mean, again, it, it does feel like in certain games, things are let go. And in other games, things get really ticky tack. And that's the kind of thing. And, uh, you know, on some level, they're human. You're never going to really, repl- really get that ultimate consistency. But that's the frustration because the real, the real frustration, of course, is. Every, especially with penalties, right? How many times have you heard someone follow a penalty or a call or a non-call with, well, I've seen that given. Like, mm. that's not a standard. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I sort of fall on, on the side, like, like Mike, of, of sort of being willing to let things go. But you, you almost want to be able to see early in the game some kind of tackle that actually draws a standard. It says, okay, that, that was over the line. And kind of everyone can calibrate, say, okay, that's the line. And then we can, you know, if we're going to let stuff go beneath that, okay. And then it, mm-hmm. it's just, you sort of worry. And I think this is what Mike was getting to is a game where they'll let things go, let things go, let things go. And then you have a play like Gabrielle's, which I mean, <laughs> I guess if, it, depending how the game goes, I could, I could see it's a foul. I disagree with that, but you know, and all of a sudden that's when the card comes out and it's like, well, wait a minute, what, what? <laughs> what about what about this other play? You start playing that game, right? right? Well, if this play was a yellow, then this right. play shouldn't be, you know. And and we're, and now we're talking about the referees, which is you never you never talk about. I didn't get the referee's name, which you know, as I discussed with the group I was watching with, when when I know the referee's name, that's a bad thing. <laughs> I didn't know who this guy was, and I felt like that's better than if I knew who it was. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do know that whenever he does referee the next Arsenal game, I'm going to see him and I'm going to be like, "Oh God, it's this guy." <laughs> that That's the only thing. I, I don't even know his name either. I cannot tell you. But yeah, I don't remember fair, it. Yeah. They they I'll said it. I don't remember though. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they always give it, but I I didn't yeah. catch it, and it wasn't. If they did say it, it wasn't one of the ones that I immediately go, "Oh gosh, not that guy." But then yeah. Mike Dean retired, so that's that removes one from the table. <laughs> so as the match drew to a close, um, I'm beginning to wonder if this is an NBC editorial decision to try and stop fans from leaving early during matches. They showed the early exodus again of <laughs> of the fans from Everton who were leaving <laughs> before it was over. <laughs> you can't blame them, though. We can't. Yeah, blame them. they. I mean, I think yeah, it's a it's a very different thing than than with like we talked about last time with the Arsenal fans leaving. It's like. Well, why would you leave this game in this circumstance and right. all that we know? Why would you leave that early here? Frankly, I give the Everton fans a lot of credit for sticking out as long as they did. <laughs> they were, and again, I, and I say this, I don't mean to be like oh, trashing Everton too deep as a club in general. I, I, I think any any Everton fan has watched that and go, yeah, they're they're a mess. And at a certain point, the fans have the fans understandably aren't going to. What are you watching? What what are they doing as a club? What what is their direction? And at some point, you kind of like, did did you think in those last five minutes Everton might score? Right. Like, can you and can you honestly have watched that and said, you know, uh, uh, you know, obviously, if you're you know a, a seven years old and like, well, we really could do it this time. 
I mean, you know, you saw those were adults leaving. They know better. You, you know, there was there was a moment in the game when uh, the uh, they sort of just like chucked the ball to the Everton striker Beto. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Whatever it was. And uh, Saliba was behind him, and he, you know he caught Saliba a little bit, and Saliba went down. It was a very kind of French way to try to get a foul or something. Um, <laughs> it's a very theatrical. Um, but the NBC commentator was saying, "All right, he went down too easy. You see that right there? Beto has Saliba's number. They should pump the ball to him, and he can get something because this is like a typical thing of you know the center forward can be really physical with an Arsenal center back, and and you know they'll make something out of it." I mean, this guy was, excuse my language, but this guy was full of shit because every person in that stadium saw that even in that instance, that didn't mean anything. There was no chance, you know, of, of them creating something out of that kind of scenario against Gabriel and Saliba where the fans yes. could rally behind that. And, and it was like really clear and you could see, you could feel it through the TV. Even, even if this guy, the commentator was saying, oh, he has his number, like uh, as if, the guy's even taking a shot that game or something. I don't know what the <laughs> hell he was on about, but but yeah, it's it's I, I I yeah I second what Keith said. Like they're adults. I'm surprised they stayed for the second half. I mean, let's yeah, yes, please, go, please run at William Saliba all game. Go ahead, see how that works out for you. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the most ridiculous comments I've heard all season yet. <laughs> I mean, so so the fun thing for me is is I watch these games in 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 the bar with with a bunch of people. So I never, I rarely hear it. I rarely hear any of the commentary. Chances are, if we hear the commentary, it's because it's one of those early kickoffs where it's six a.m. and there's only there's only a handful of us there and not a lot's going on in the game and everybody's just kind of quiet because I'm like I don't want to. I need my coffee. I don't need to like, so it's interesting after the game, you hear comments from people like, can you believe the commentator said this stupid thing? It's kind of nice to not have that. (laughs) I'm jealous. I'm jealous of that. (laughs) Or you'll just get random snippets of things. They pop in and then it's always followed by someone else profanely disagreeing with that comment, whatever it was. (laughs) Okay, so it is that time where we talk about who we consider to be the player of the match. Um, Mike, do you have thoughts on this, or do you need a minute to think about it? And we'll <laughs> I need to think about it, but I don't even know. No one really like stood out in particular. I mean, it was Declan Rice obviously was Declan mm-hmm. Rice. It was just so it's just so good to see him. He covers so much ground. He wins the ball from every angle. It's like really, I just love watching that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, ama- it's amazing. We've been on what forty-five minutes, and it's the first time we've said Declan Rice's name at all. <laughs> You're right. We should, we should he just was say a- it forty-five yeah. times. Yeah, Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice. <laughs> right. Oh my god. <laughs> He's goodness. the best, yeah. best defensive midfielder in the league. Um, I don't know. I, maybe I'll, I'll throw my hat to Trossard because he he scored the goal, and it seemed like nobody was finding the target. So uh, you know, I'll put my hat to him at least. Right. Yeah, I mean. I'm kind of where you are. I was leaning towards towards Declan Rice, just sort of very quietly going about his business. I mean, I thought Saliba was excellent. He had like one difficult play, and he just chased his man down and, and finished it off. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Ben White was really good up and down the right side. Odegaard was was Odegaard. He he Saliba and Soccer the undroppables. Um, I, I, honestly, I don't know. It, 
I, I don't even know. I don't even know if I could go the other way. Like, who would I like? Almost who would I pick as our our worst player of the game? I mean, Eddie. Yeah, I guess Eddie was kind of quiet, but yeah. you know, <laughs> not to blame him. But yeah, it just, really, I mean, yeah, nothing happened. I, yeah, I, 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 I guess, I guess I'll mix up. Like, I mean, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll make it two for two. I Trussard got the goal. That's what we needed. We needed the goal. We talked about him growing into the game. Yeah, I'll say I'll say Trussard. I I don't have any Vieira for the assist that didn't count. He had a couple of the nice passes. I, we, I could we could just walk down all eleven or even the you know all eleven and just say David Raya. He's good. Yeah, David Raya. Who who did win man of the match officially? I don't, I don't know actually. I don't know. We don't. You know we we do have a segment on the show. <laughs> we never actually look look that up. I don't even know. I feel like the last few matches Declan Rice has won like two or three of them, and because hmm. he's a new guy, they're really make an effort to emphasize that but after this game i have no idea before keith reveals that let me let me get my thoughts out there so i I try when i can to come up with an unconventional pick for an unconventional reason um and i think this time it comes to ben white for me um for one thing i'm going to be focusing i've been thinking a lot about defense i'm going to be coaching um like during our practice tomorrow with my team like we're going to do some defensive drills also as a defender he actually had a really credible strike in the first half that was nice to see you know the defenders don't very often get those opportunities and he didn't convert it but but it was close yeah that was with his left foot as well Okay. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah. And then a few minutes after that, he had uh, a block that he made in, uh, in the other team or not in, in their own half. He had a block that he made that they use his butt for. Um, and I think that deserves, deserves a mention. So I'll go with, uh, Ben White and his butt block. That's I fair. actually like that because also now that he's playing back at right back, he had a lot of overlaps with Sokka. Yeah. And you could just see that that kind of thing from last season coming back again. I mean, it was definitely, nice yeah. it was definitely something they missed in those first couple of games when they were doing that thing with Thomas party at right back. And it, it just, it was, you could tell on the right side, wasn't quite clicking. Yeah. He and mm-hmm. he and Saka and Odegaard too, the three of them on that side. Um, just for the record, we've never looked this up. Uh, so the, according to the premier league's fan vote for the game, uh, had Saliba as man of the match. Hmm. So, yeah. and Trussard was the, yeah, Trussard received the second most votes. Right. Also, also, a handful of Everton players, including James Tarkowski and Jared Branthwaite, all received <laughs> votes, which I don't understand. Uh, but uh, I mean, I will say from an Everton fan's perspective, um, Tarkowski, I think is his name, Tarkowski, Tarkowski, like, yeah. I think they're pronouncing the W as a V. I think during during the commentary, but um, but yeah, it's, it's not unheard of, uh, Kivior. Um, but, um, no, he, he, he was probably their best player of the match. He was very active in blocking and a lot. He, he undermined us the most. <laughs> I feel like as, as little as they over, undermined us overall. Um, I feel like he was the, their most active. So I could see from the Everton side where that would come from. So the only comment I'll follow that up with is that Tarkovsky played for years for Burnley. And the fact okay. that he's now at Everton and is now under Dice, their man of the match, tells me everything I need to know about where Everton is right now. <laughs> Which, like Burnley, like old Burnley, is probably on their way to the championship. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I even saw because they played. They played today, uh, Nottingham Forest and Burnley. Mm. And I was looking at uh, I was looking at the squads, and I saw Chris Wood's name, who he's actually scored an equalizer 
against uh, someone earlier in the season, like the last few minutes. Um, but he was like, he was a Sean Dyke Burnley, like go to striker. And, you know, going back to this whole comment of, Oh, Beto's got Saliba's number. You know, I'm surprised I didn't get someone like Chris Wood, you know, someone Sean Dyke knows where it's like ping the ball to his head. He will win the ball and just run your asses off. So I'm actually surprised. I feel like if anything at this point, Everton are so poor, they could actually probably do with more Burnley alum. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just kind of need yeah that directness, um, which is funny now because Burnley. I mean, the story with Burnley and and you've actually watched them. I guess I haven't. I haven't seen them. Apparently now with now uh, companies a manager, they play a much more build out of the back kind of like more modern style, which was really good in Championship, and now apparently it's just getting run ragged in the Premier League now that they're playing better opponents. Yeah. You know, I watched I watched them against City in the first game and I just saw some highlights, but but yeah, they, they definitely play a lot different. And when I was watching them, or the small amount I have, yes, not as good, but it is see it does seem to me like one of those teams where we play against, we lose the ball and all of a sudden it's three on one and somehow they score in the first two minutes of the game or something, you know, something <laughs> ridiculous like that. It's it's that kind of style. Our and trademark almost, way to get scored against the last yeah. year or so. Because <laughs> they got some quick guys on the wing and everything. Mm. So so it will be interesting when we do come up against them. Yeah. Okay, so I've got a few match questions. I think these should probably be pretty straightforward. Um, first question, it seems like a major design element of the Everton jerseys on their shoulders as well as on their socks, and I don't remember, maybe their shorts. They have these chevrons. It's like a bunch of chevrons that are all kind of overlapping with each other in a design. Is that an Everton design flourish or is that i think hummel was their uh was their equipment sponsor it looked like it could be like the adidas stripes or something maybe for hummel that's 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 a hummel thing okay. the chevrons and hummel's not a not a brand that gets a lot of uh has a lot in the premier league yeah um but they stand out it is it is very much like the the three stripes kind of thing it's, yep. it, that's a hummel staple okay um Toward the beginning of the match, is in the first like five minutes, the commentators said something about the grass looks long. And I, I was just kind of, th- they were bringing it up to say that that's something that they did at Goodison Park in preparation for this match to slow the ball down to make Arsenal work harder to, to move it or something. Is that something that clubs do? Is it allowed? Like, what are the regulations? Like, obviously, you can't have, like, waist-high grass. The, they've got to set some kind of limit, right? Like, what what are the rules around that? And is that something that clubs do? First answer is yes. Um, okay. Clubs will do all kinds of weird things with the, with the grounds in the stadium. And it used to be a lot more common. So I was I've, – I've recently been watching um, – it, it's it's a show that's on HBO. It's called Winning Time. It was about the uh, the Los Angeles Lakers in the eighties, Magic Johnson and the, the Showtime, and how they built that team. And they the final episode of the season was they played uh, the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals, and they're playing a game in in the old Boston Garden. And they just talked the the talk about was how hot it was in the stadium, and and um, how muggy and the the temperature, and they have, they have Kareem as they're sucking oxygen on the sideline, and then they have some comment where they show. Um, the, I forget the actor's name. Michael Chiklis is playing Red Auerbach, the hmm. famous Celtics uh, guy, makes some comment to the janitor, something about 
oh, did you forget? Did you turn the water off or something? You know, like clearly shenanigans are being done to mess <laughs> around with the, the temperature of the stadium. And, you know, I'm not talking this. This is a game that happened in like 1984 or something like yeah, the Celtics won the game. This isn't a surprise. But this right. sort of thing did happen. And, and part of it was deliberate and also but you could always pass it off as. Well, you know, it's these old buildings. I mean, sometimes the water doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's a completely deliberate attempt to grow the ground. It will slow guys down. You hear about this, the you know, in in foot in American football all the time. We uh, will slow the game down, especially if you're playing somebody whose game is built on speed or skill, like Arsenal's is. Yeah. So that's definitely a thing. As far as regulations go, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's like some general standard of acceptable, you know, grass height, but I, I suspect it's one of those the they're not measuring millimeters, so it, it just <laughs> sort of comes to a point where they'll walk out one day and go, "Come on, you can't, you can't do that." But right. probably ever the idea they would probably ever force a club to mow its lawn <laughs> right before a game <laughs> strikes me as unlike as unlikely. Well, yeah, it's like what would what would the regulation look like in that regard? Like the ref, it would have to be the referee, I imagine. Mm. It's like he's coming out. It's probably close to kickoff time when he first sets foot on the field. <laughs> yeah, they're not bringing out the lawnmowers at that point. <laughs> I would, I, I can't even imagine what that conversation would be like. The referee just walks out there, <laughs> looks at the grass, and looks at probably Everton or the home team, and just goes, "No, <laughs> get get them. No, get the yeah. mower." <laughs> they, they could get some uh some real nice uh var footage download the grass draw lines draw lines show a nice little stat of the average grass height i will add add to add to the point though um i think the most common um thing that does happen and it, it happens still to this day and it was a big thing back in the day uh, if you go if you look if you ever go to an arsenal game before the game, you'll see they will water the hell out of the pitch. They will make mm. that slick, like like an ice hockey ring. You go to Luton, they're not doing that. You go away to Burnley, they're not doing that. Well, maybe not. Times have changed. But the whole idea is you have dry grass, the ball can't move as fast, and all of a sudden now you're you're playing long ball, and it's a it's a game of of headers. It changes the whole dynamic. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Sean, especially, if, especially now that it's still nice out, relatively speaking, if he was saying, I want this to be like, uh, Sahara desert out here. <laughs> I mean, all coach, all coaches are control freaks. I'm sure he, I, I mean, he absolutely, if, if the grass is long, that's a hundred percent his decision. All right. Uh, last question I had was again toward the beginning. The commentator said something. I wish I wrote down exactly what they said. I don't remember what their exact words are, but they were saying something to the effect of that it's going to be extra hard today for Saka taking corner kicks. Uh, I don't know if this is a comment on the corners on both sides, maybe at Goodison Park, or maybe if it's that particular side where we were in the first half, that left corner or right corner. Um, but yeah, what, is there something to know about Goodison Park in that regard that you're aware of either of you? I did, I did hear that comment when I was watching a game where, where, whoever, one of the commentators said that. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I, I wasn't really paying too much attention. Yeah. And I just figured, oh, I, maybe it's a shorter 
run up than usual. Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't sure, but but it, like, but I've noticed at the Emirates, if you see them take corners, it slopes down. Right, the first yeah. step or two, they actually have to run uphill. Yep. which I always thought was a really weird way to take a corner. Yeah. So yeah. I don't really know what he was getting at. Well, but yeah, I, I what, suppose it's different in a way. What I did notice, and maybe this contributes, maybe this is what they were talking about, but looking at the corners after he said that, it looked like there's like, instead of being the slope like you have at the Emirates, it was almost like a ledge. Like you had like a raised bed that was the field. And then there's actually like a step down where you would almost have to like, if you wanted to take a longer run, you'd have to hop up over that or something. I wonder if that's maybe what it was. Um, I, I recall, I, I want to say it's old Trafford has something similar where there's like, a, it feels like there's a really steep drop off. Like once you get beyond the sidelines, I mean, Arsenal has a little bit of one as well. I, I didn't hear that comment, obviously, as, as mm. we talked about. I wonder if it is the the size and the spacing that you have around the corner as part of that. Or it could also just be, again, sort of thinking out loud here, because of the corner it's being taken, but also the, the angle that Saka's going to run up to it because of the foot he, when he wants to use his left foot. Maybe coming from that angle, there's less space because of the stands being closer to the field. I'm I'm speculating here. I don't know, but I suspect that's more... If that's what they're saying, I, I, that's my guess is what it, they're, they're yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah. I thought, so- I thought Sokka's corner deliveries weren't terrible either. I didn't see, I didn't notice anything that was well, out of the ordinary. Thinking about it, the comment was actually followed immediately by, or maybe this comment happened after, but Sokka had kicked it and it, Oh, it shot too far. It went beyond the goal. And I think they were saying, yeah, that's what we were talking about. Or that was what prompted the, the comment in the first place that, yeah, it affected him somehow. But we did, we did have an unusually high number of corner kicks in this game also. <laughs> well, I mean, that was driven by the possession. We did play yeah. a lot of our corners short and it was interesting. And it was, yeah. a, there was a piece in the athletic about this. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure we get the, the link in there, but they're talking about how that was a deliberate choice to basically roll the ball to Odegaard and then they, they, the, the article talks about this what it does is he starts moving and Everton's defenders who otherwise are you know big sturdy guys who can beat probably beat most of our players at the headers Everton's defenders are now being pulled out of position that's what created openings for potential chances and ultimately we saw Trossard's goal came off of that kind of play um, yeah. so there's definitely a deliberate effort on the part of Arsenal to, to, to attack in that way yeah, and I sort of love that about Arteta at the moment because I think it was—I don't know if it was last season or the season before—we were one of the top teams, if not the top team, to score off the corners. Mm-hmm. And you see him. I feel like there is an actual set piece coach he hired a couple years ago, and if you notice, season by season, we have these different kind of plays, mm-hmm. and. I, it's it's really nice to see because there are times when we're just taking corners for the sake of taking corners and someone just hits it to the first defender. But it's nice, you know, just give it to Odegaard. All of a sudden, Everton players stretch out and it creates all these openings that you can shoot on goal as opposed to just whipping it in. And if the ball comes out, you know, to someone else outside the box, well, you have 10 Everton giants just standing in front of you. So it's it's really good stuff on Arteta's part, I think, and whoever the set piece coaches, he has a name. I just don't know. <laughs> I should hope so. 
<laughs> Mississippi, um, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so I did want to talk about my experience during my first coaching of a real soccer match with lines on the field and two different teams playing each other and a referee and all that kind of stuff. Uh, however, we've run out of time, so I'm going to leave that as an incentive for you to become a super fan. It is very cheap. I encourage you to look into it. You can click on the link in our show notes or in the show description on YouTube if you want to join. Only a dollar a month, and it's well worth it. So we are going to deliver our outro if you are a super fan to stick around after the outro to hear all about that so uh keith uh what's up for next week uh so next week uh wednesday triumphant return to the champions league chances are by you by the time you're listening to this you will have seen us play psv but uh yeah champions league is back i'm excited and then uh somehow flying under the radar on sunday the north london derby spurs (laughs) comes to the emirates um (laughs) Spurs are feeling good about themselves. They feel they're up near the top of the table. They have the same record we do. Uh, let's hope that's not the case in our favor anyway after this weekend. Yeah, that's great. So time time to put their new coach to the test. Mm. <laughs> this very likable man who needs to become an enemy very quickly. <laughs> puts he puts on that bird and that kind of that kind of takes care of it, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I also should say I refuse to know how to pronounce his name, so I'm just not even going to say it. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, and we certainly recommend you do, please like and subscribe. To support the show even more, you can become a Gooner U superfan for ad-free episodes as well as raw, unedited recordings available the night we record. It's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to Zencaster for sponsoring. You can find a link to them in our show notes or show description, and you can save 30% off your first month of any paid plan. Follow our show on Twitter at GoonerUShow for updates and to ask questions. Again, my name is Dove. You can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith. You can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. And thanks again to our special guest, Mike. And you can find him sitting a couple rows over for me whenever I'm working in the office. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining. Until next time. Thank you. Come on, you gunners. Go, you gunners.